Hello. Early in the week, I spoke with Fidelity's investment teams about the macro impact of the conflict in Ukraine. We heard how second and third order effects of the war are feeding through to companies and their supply chains and what it means for Fidelity's core allocation. I'm joined now by Global Chief Investment Officer Andrew McCaffrey. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much, Carsten. Good to be back with you. Andrew, you've just returned from Asia. What were some of your key observations and how do the views you heard there differ to what's being presented in the US or Europe? Yes, I mean, it's very interesting to have an opportunity to go out and meet uh, some of the investors and uh, our own portfolio managers um, who are uh, managing assets in the region. And just to, uh, to think about how you know, every day that when we look at the, the media coverage, the discussion, the, the nature of how we're thinking about term markets, that there are some differences that I think one is the degree to which, uh, you know, viewing some of the, the actions and the way that um, the discussion around China had formed, if you think in, uh, you know, US into Europe, that, you know, many times sort of presented as a uh, process where China, you know, being very much um, seen as a, as a party that could, uh, do a number of things that would be unwanted, could be very, um, uh, you know, potentially negative, um, and therefore, uh, you know, having impact on the sentiment um, in Europe and uh, in US about even thinking about uh, the investable nature of uh, China, whereas a very different profile for many investors uh, in the region, um, you know, and not just in, in China itself, but around uh, other parts of uh, uh, the investment landscape as well. And what was interesting was the view that uh, many of the things that China are doing, you know, clearly are to try and stay in a relatively neutral position uh, around all things to do with the war, but also what they're doing, you know, with policy and the degree to which they've generated an environment of relative resilience, self-sufficiency in, in their access to um, uh, resources around the region and elsewhere, um, but also, more importantly, the policy focus that. Um, the comments that were made when we look back to what we saw um, a couple of weeks ago uh, uh, of obviously the uh, the turmoil um, in that sort of uh, heat of the moment of the ADR concerns and that sort of liquidity transition uh, that would be occurring from uh, the New York listings to Hong Kong listings. Actually, that comments that occurred there were seen being very important, um, you know, suggesting that you know, real support from the authorities, taking a focus on trying to ensure that the economic development uh, is very clearly supported and that feeding through markets. So I suppose to sum it up that, um, you know, there's a degree of, uh, you know, viewing some of the actions um, that are taking place by the US and its allies as possibly having ramifications that impact to many in the, uh, the region not just in China, but also looking to China and how it's positioning, that actually there are opportunities that will be forming and that uh, during Q2, some of that support that's been highlighted could actually lead to a better environment in the second half of the year. How is China managing some of the concerns and coverage from the West within Asia? So I think that what is um, clear is that they are uh, engaging and trying to be um, clarifying in their position around how they're engaging um, uh, you know, towards other countries. So not just um, uh, the focus on uh, Russia, but also that you know, clearly to try and present a picture of both neutrality in that situation at this stage, um, but also support for uh, ending the war and how they can um, participate in uh, trying to support that process. 
But again, you know, looking at the policy framework, then you know very much um, you know engaging around how the regional economic activity develops and to provide support to realise that the downturn that's seen in the economy has been greater. COVID obviously playing a significant part, um, you know, throughout the last couple of years, but especially in recent uh, weeks, and trying to offset some of the concerns that have been linked to that. So it's maybe a little bit more demonstrable and you feel it um, being there than maybe we see, uh, you know, when we're sitting in, uh, you know, Europe or US. And that, I think, uh, is something that the Chinese authorities are very clear on and trying to present again, not just the short term and how they think about the economy for this year, but still very much their policy framework and their longer term plans and commitments to areas such as building out, obviously, um, to uh, overcome some of the climate change uh, challenges to address you know, creating fresh technology and development and innovation um, and also supporting uh, that common prosperity uh, theme, which clearly is at the uh, core of their current agenda. Last time we spoke, you were quite constructive about China. Uh, did anything you learned on your trip prompt you to reconsider views you held before heading there? Um, I think uh, there were a few things, Carsten. Um, most probably that the the nature of the headwinds in the the short term are, are greater you know the covid uh, lockdowns obviously were in, uh, you know intensifying as i was going there whilst i was in uh, singapore and that i think you know certainly means that the challenge around how they provide stimulus and can create a little bit more of that economic dynamism is going to take longer and is going to need more action um, I think it also you know, struck me that the economic challenges um, and our thoughts around the level of uh, you know, stimulus picking up um, you know, are likely to have to be reset with a view that Q2, they could be actually more um, engaged and more um, focused on to how do they provide support to the economy and even stimulus as we go through uh, into mid-year. If they're to hit their targets that are so important, um, And a lot of that will have to be generated in the second half of the uh, of the year. So I think that uh, you know, the bottom line is that uh, you know, short-term headwinds are greater. Um, some of those challenges and sentiment certainly has been very badly um, scarred through uh, uh, the events of the last um, uh, few weeks, especially. But most probably, you know, more confident that the authorities are understanding that and um, see that there's a need for uh, you know greater in engagement, both in terms of stimulus, but also thinking about you know the regulatory headwinds they created and taking some of those back to help as we go through the year. Taking the discussion into broader market developments right now, the recovery of risk assets has been impressive. What has been driving this? Will it continue in your view? So I think first of all, um, uh, you know. To recognize it has been. When you look to the US, uh, you know, interestingly, arguably, you know, we saw really the sort of peak of sentiment and concern was literally at the point of the, the invasion um, and how the, uh, the S&P as um, a proxy for that has traded since. Uh, you know, when we look to oil, that uh, the, the peaks came um, so far within um, you know, a few days. So uh, I think part of what's driven that um, is for the equity markets, a sense that Uh, stagflation is not necessarily to, to be feared, um, as it can lead that you get real income generation out of many parts of the equity market that will be very valuable. Um, and the inflation, in its most negative sense of getting to the point where it flows through into almost inflationary bust, 
uh, you know, was um, maybe uh, you know a concern too far, but still a, a tail risk. And so I suppose the way I sum it up is that the markets um, decided that those tail risks around, especially recession, had maybe increased, but certainly not increased to the level of probability that would remove um, either stagflation risk, or more importantly, that growth would uh, decline so significantly uh, that uh, that's something that uh, you know, markets should immediately move to, to price. Now, I do think that one should bear in mind that you know, that's just an equity view. Um, the reality is when we look to the bond markets, that they have started to move to send out more cautionary signals. Obviously, the flattening and then uh, inverting in some parts of the uh, US curve, especially as a forward-looking indicator, suggests that uh, you know, there is signs of, uh, of concern. And I think, again, that that reflects that if there is a follow-through on some of that more hawkish rhetoric and the fact that talking about 50 base points versus 25 base point moves, the concern that that could actually feed through the economy much more significantly than um, was first perceived. And that, I think, is a very important um, uh, you know, issue that uh, you know, we have to look at that dichotomy and, and say, you know, which is going to, uh, to maybe give off the clearer signals as we go forward, and then you know, how we should be thinking about the probability of that tower risk environment. To answer your question of, you know, will this last? My sense is that... Um, you know, we've had a good bounce back on the fact that living with, as said, that's an inflationary environment in equity markets and that the worst may not happen. But some of the other signals suggest to me and, and what's clear to look out for is that you know, we have seen such dramatic increases in uh, you know, the energy channel, in uh, food prices, uh, in the impact across supply chains that we've got to keep a close eye on any signs of demand destruction, which you know, we haven't seen yet, but we've seen confidence drop in. If that comes through, and when we have a backdrop of this tightening profile across central banks of money supply growth having uh, you know, dropped so dramatically uh, again, I think that um, uh, the markets are going to struggle to be able to continue to make um, uh, you know, headway from here. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that we see some setbacks developing sooner or later in developed markets, especially uh, at this stage. I find that difference between equity and bond markets very intriguing. So what you're saying is the bond market may be right in terms of pricing in a bit more risk factors than the equity market at this point, yeah? So I think it's, uh, it could be. I think it certainly is right to reflect that the um, tower risk of recession has increased um, you know, through what we've seen from the invasion and uh, events um, on from that. And again, when you roll it all together and the global profile, uh, obviously you know, China having more headwinds, at least at this point in time, that we think uh, that we will see more stimulus to offset. But you know, Europe, the consumption tax element of uh, what we see in the energy channel, um, and it was already cost of living challenges. And then in the US, that you know, very clearly, and I think we have seen small signs um, through uh, you know, some resistance to the price increases, but the very strong inflationary pressures that um, have manifested there. So I, I, again, I'd be looking at you know, the challenge in sort of too much forward signal, um, sort of uh, you know, looking for at this stage is that if it turns, it may be quite rapid. And the reality is that could mean that 
you know, from a market sense that what feels like a more comfortable position turns into a very difficult liquidity position quite quickly, especially if it's the case that, you know, we have that sort of monetary liquidity back, uh, backdrop that's declining at the time that economic activity all of a sudden seems to reflect that, you know, we've gone from inflationary pulses into demand destruction. Um, you've talked about liquidity. What other signals are you watching that could really change your view here? Well, I think it would be um, to, to really sort of increase that risk that recession is coming, maybe measured in um, months and, uh, and not many quarters would be, as I said, that we're seeing signs that real um, uh, revulsion to the price increases and what that means in terms of demand and consumption. So, you know, it's always looking to the sensitivity in the US, but especially in Europe, um, I think confidence indicators uh, you know, are, are useful and show you that the risk, but it's really about seeing that volume levels change, that uh, the uh, way in which management um, expectations and order books start to, uh, to show signs of stress. Um, and I think we've had very small elements, but so far that picture is still very clouded. Um, but you know, if we start to see that, I think, you know, as we've seen from our own analyst surveys as well, that the um, concerns being felt by many managements across the world at the time when those price pressures have continued to come through and they haven't been able to pass all of them on. And especially if that becomes a real issue, then you could find that the markets uh, start to think about uh, you know, how constructive they uh, still are relative to the reality that we're starting to see in you know, earnings outlook as well. Energy prices seem to be quite important for the market as well. We've just heard announcements from President Biden of a release of US oil reserves to try and stabilize fuel prices. What's your view on the oil price here? What is the market pricing in uh, for the time being? And is the risk rather on the downside for the oil price than on the upside? I think that's a very good point. And, and it may be one of those things that uh, you know, just manages to, to offset some of the, the concerns I just highlighted that, um, you know, if it flows through quick enough that it, it, it's got to feed, uh, you know, into prices at the pump and uh, into how we see it flow through into, uh, you know, other prices um, through the economy that, uh, uh, you know, for day-to-day -day use. And, uh, you know, I think the move is obviously very constructive, could feed through quite quickly. Obviously, WTI, um, Uh, in the US has shown that crude oil you know, on the front month futures moving below uh, $100. Um, and uh, that obviously is quite significant when you think um, where, you know, where we were. Um, so if that can you know, create that self dynamic, that supply is more than, than offsetting. And you know, again, the sort of concerns around that demand just coming off a little bit, then you might find that actually acts as a little bit of a um, positive di dynamic feeding through for the economy. Uh, um, but again, that will take time. Whereas markets may um, you know, actually, uh, uh, again, just look to, is, is this another sign that the, uh, the, the stress is giving way to, uh, again, um, you know, demand profiles and how those will uh, uh, develop and is it enough? So I, I'm not sure that oil is, you know, as an indicator, is all of a sudden going to feed through Uh, to markets more broadly as, as a strong positive, but it may take away some of those inflationary um, concerns, 
which you know have had a, a significant impact, but I, I don't think that um, uh, you know to uh, to the level that we've seen um, previously when you've had the fact that it's the double whammy of um, prices going up and then also wages going up and that creating the spiral. What we may find is that um, you know the focus uh, now for for markets is a little bit more uh, nuanced than that, as I said, and and thinking about where the the tower risks are a bit more fully as we go through the next few days and the real underlying um, dynamics of uh, uh, you know back into to monetary uh, developments and all these things I think you know don't make for an, an easier um, picture it still stays very complex but my sense is that oil can come off um, further but that won't be the focus point for the markets uh, as much as it has been on the upside clearly something to watch very closely we'll have to leave it there thank you very much Andrew and thank you for listening you can read more on the market implications of the war and other global developments on your local Fidelity website or at fidelityinternational.com. The producer today was Seb morton Clark with technical support from Alex Wilcox. From all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.